This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Who knows what kind of two hours it's going to be, but we know it'll be an entertaining one. It's Kelly and Rumya on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Ramia Amadhan, one of the hosts. Kelly McDonald is the other host of the show, and uh, we're here with you for the next two hours. Kelly, having a good day? Oh, excellent day. Mm-hmm. The, the rain finally the... stopped, at least for a couple of hours. Oh, okay. Not on my side. I have a wet dog next to me. But uh, enough about the rain. No weather talk. I know, and definitely no wet dog smell talk. But... No wet dog talk. There you go. Thank you. You cut it off <sighs> yep, at the point yep. that I would. I know. I know. I'm really good with this timing stuff. But uh, I want to ask you about movies, podcasts, sports, TV shows. So basically anything that you are willing to give your attention to on screen, on audio. How much attention do you feel like you can give these days with the, before itching to just pause it? Like, I can't make it through more than an hour and a half of a, a movie. If a movie is over an hour and 20 minutes long, I'm out. Yep. Definitely by I the 55-minute mark. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah, I've been like that since, really, since I was a kid. I've mm. always hated I all And same with plays. As much as I'm a theater person, you'll, I'll oh, walk out often of plays and say, man, that darn one's a half hour longer than it needed to be. Um, Especially sports, if it's an since opera. I'm such a, sports, since I'm such a sports fan... I love what we've done to speed up games, but there's no way I have the tolerance to watch any game and watch the commercials. I haven't watched commercials in 20 some odd years. Okay, but how about without the commercials? If you oh, skip through, because you PBR prefer, everything. Yeah, I, I would prefer to be able to fast forward through, then I can watch more. Like I can watch maybe maybe two games, but even that, I I can never really. It's hard to tolerate. Two games, that's a in. lot. That's a it's lot. It's a lot. Sports is long, and a lot of it is the stupid commercial. And now they're smart because they put all sorts of commercials within the game. You know, oh yeah, Randall just just like with the podcast, all the commercials. Oh, yep. Dave Brown goes off about this on the morning show. Um, but yeah, all the you know built-in podcast promos. You know, well, you have a lot of time. I find them at the beginning, and then sometimes you'll get at least they put them together so I can thirty-second fast forward. 30 yeah, second fast yeah, forward, thank but you. it's still annoying because it's the same ones oh, yeah. over and over again, right? Anyways, oh yeah, and totally it catches you rant. when you're when you're away from the machine. I picked up a three-hour pod. One episode of a three-hour oh, pod. I really, really wanted to hear yeah. this episode, and I am now do it. forty-five minutes couldn't in, three sittings in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's I, I a couldn't long do it. I, I can't. I like Please. my thirty-five, forty, or I'm skipping normal volume. I mean, uh, speed because it's pod, right? It's a conversation. I can't speed it well, up. And I said that to you a couple of weeks ago, and you said, no, 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 you could speed. Yeah, I was. People, I was especially if they like... have music and sound. No, it's weird. It's definitely weird. It's weird. It's weird to like speed people up who have are having real conversations in real life. A conversation. Yeah. 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 Um, Speaking of convos, let's see what's coming up on today's show. Fern Lullum is joining us from the UK, and we're having kind of a mental health uh, themed show today. A lot of our conversations around this. She, Fern, is going to talk about emotional triggers and how we can deal with them. 
Well, of course, we're going to sit down and uh, think about food, but also think about what the top foods are for elevating your moods. Mary Mammoliti here later on with the details. Plus, we look forward to the weekly roundtable in hour two of the show. Kelly McDonald picks out all the topics that he wants to bring to the table, and Mike Fair and I are going to talk uh, with him about those topics. The Canadian Pediatric Society. They've come out with something. They say free play is essential for children's mental, social, and physical development, and that risky play can be uh, very helpful and good. The Pediatric Society's recommendations encourage kids to get away from their screens and get outside and play to help prevent and manage common health problems like obesity, anxiety, and behavioral issues. It defines risky play as thrilling and exciting free play that involves uncertain outcomes and the possibility of physical injury. Examples include riding a bike at high speed, climbing, sledding, play fighting, sliding, and running. Don Kelly, The Canadian Press. It is startling to think that kids, like, we have to point out the examples of free play and risky play is an outdoor time in general because there are kids who are potentially have no idea. They have no idea. They've never experienced this in their life. Like, this is all my childhood was of a certain generation onwards. I guess it's more like transitioned into screen time and video games, but I cannot imagine a, a world where kids are just not understanding like you have to force kids to go outside and play now i mean sorry encourage running <laughs> safest one there was running depending i shouldn't say Sliding. that right? Sliding. Like, does that mean that there are kids well, out here maybe. who've never had a scraped knee because they've never slid um yeah i don't like know are people that. are children getting scrapes that and cuts and bruises thing. outside yeah, that's what I'm saying. That was a weekly thing. Um, climbing trees, that was. Oh God, and and yeah. again, I, I know there's other examples that I've seen with this here in, in this conversation, even picking up tools. Uh, you know, at a young age, I was taught to properly use tools because parents at that time, for some crazy reason, thought if you knew how to do something, you may not injure yourself later. Yeah, that's fair. Funny. We weren't they taught, taught you anything. How to we just handle it, proper use of it. Got hold of it. Probably bad. But um, I just think like, you know, how badly we craved going out all the time, winter, summer, fall, spring. And, and now it's like we have to have conversations, intentional conversations with children to be like, let's go outside. Well, and a lot of parents, you know, the helicopter parents, even when I was a kid, still kept some kids from doing that stuff. If we get climbing sure. a tree, what are you doing, you guys? But it was fewer you know. kids, right? Oh, for sure, but yeah. always fewer and always, you know, you're always going to find it, just like like you said about the video games and stuff. Mm. There were kids when I was a kid that played video games and loved their whatever yeah. it was and didn't want to do anything else, but now but it's... But it was it's still, a, like, allocated yeah. time for video games versus just and most of the time you're outdoors. Stuff. Yes. You just took your Coleco game and climbed up into the tree That's and sat true. up in the branches and played it. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, you could take your screens outdoors, like when the, exactly. the DS and stuff came out, and just be like... You know, still on your screens, but not wanting to be in the house. Yes. You still got your friends. Yeah, and you were kicked went out, out of together. the house. Mm, you were exactly. kicked out of the house. Get out. Yeah, exactly. Well, interesting. Thanks to the uh, Canadian Pediatric Society for that. After the break, we're talking about the Calm app. It's pretty much a revisit with Michael Fair because uh, the Calm app is always doing more things, better things, hopefully around accessibility as well. So we'll bring it back on our audio entertainment and tech chat with Mike Fair after the break on Kelly and Ramia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
We gotta pick up on this back channel thread. Tell us one more time, Kels, about the bike that you rode that got cut in half. And you ask the question, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Someone sawed the bike in half. Like why? I don't know how else to explain. I don't know because he was vandal, because he was his father was teaching him how to use a saw. He was living reckless. He sawed the bike in half. And this wasn't and your bike. I, oh yeah, it was. Well, it was my bike. Not much of a useful <laughs> bike after that. Yeah, I came downstairs one day and it was like, hey, this bike is uh, completely beside itself. It's a. So <laughs> I wanted to it's use half it. A bike. Okay. Yeah, well, I, well, so I wanted to use it still before we could st uh, find <clears throat> another one. Right. So I used it as a unicycle. Well, I just used the front part of it. Why did we clear our throat about that? Were we just taking other people's bikes? What? what, what? No, it's because I said steel. Oh, I started to say steel another okay. one because yep, the next bike exactly. I got when we moved right. to London, we found in bushes. So mm, it was kind of like, mm. hey, hey, this is, looks you know, like I've it's heard a lot of stories like months. that. Yeah. People just well, tossing their bikes and it, others finding them. Well, if you, if you look at it, it's been, oh, this has been sitting here for two months. I guess somebody lost it. <laughs> and <laughs> I found it. All the things we set ourselves up for yeah, as kids. You know, anyway, so you unicycle. learned to ride a unicycle. <laughs> yep. Then I thought. Then I. Then of course I got the idea I could get in Barnum and Bailey Circus, right? Hey, I can do the unicycle like that guy. Oh uh, wait a minute, that's not a real unicycle. How did we I'm even a ride this bike? Unicyclist. Wow. No, kid. There's pieces hanging off it. There's like bars <laughs> Press, back there. It doesn't even. Work. You're not even moving. Okay. Yeah, well, the real trick was trying to use the rear part and leaning back and seeing how far you could roll with oh, that. No. Okay, well, so on we've the back taken risky head. play to another level, huh? This Generations is, today cannot understand. Yeah, this is yeah. vile play. Like, no, you know, no, wow. This, this Why would you much. do that? Just cry loud enough. That's risky enough, and you might get a new bike. <laughs> All bikes were broken in this process. Let's you betcha. talk audio entertainment and tech. We do this on Thursdays with Michael Fair. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. Mike, just quick follow-up question for you on this thread. Did you learn to ride a bike with training wheels or without? Uh, without really, we, we did. I remember riding a trike at first at W. Ross. They had a little little trike that I could ride around. Mm. And uh, later, of course, uh, learned on the tandem bike with uh, my father, and we'd ride around on that. And he'd, of course, do the steering, and I would do most of the pedaling as it turned out. Is that, right. is that Mike? Is that Mike when you could borrow the tandems from CNIB? No, we had it ourselves. It was, do that. It was, oh, okay. No, it was it was our bike. Like we we had it in our garage for nice. uh, years and years. Yep. Awesome, Mike. Well, after all the risky play and vile play, <laughs> yes. uh, we come home and we try to relax, at least as adults. So we're going to talk about the Calm app. Um, it calm has... Down. Yeah, let's calm down, <laughs> shall we? So exactly. the Calm app has been winning awards for a long time, long before the pandemic, and Apple praised it as one of the best apps of 2017. So it's been a while. And now it's perhaps one of the widely known or most widely known mental wellness brands. And this week, you're going to share your thoughts about the app uh, because, of course, you've been kind of revisiting it here and there. So who is the Calm app made for? Let's start from the beginning. Basically, these apps, uh, Headspace, Shine, Calm, all those, are, they're basically for people, average people, with, with kind of what I would think of as more casual mental things to work out, right? So you don't go to these apps if you're having psychotic breakdowns and stuff. You know, these, these aren't supposed to replace professional therapists or anything like that. These are for 
I just need some help uh, getting centered in the morning. I just need uh, some thoughts on how to manage stress a bit better. Uh, things, things like that are what these apps can kind of help you with, how to get to sleep more easily at night and calm your mind so it's ready to drift off. Uh, they have meditations and things on all of that kind of thing of stuff, um, and that, so it's it's more for that. It's it's not for the you know serious mental illness that you know you you, we want, you want a professional psychologist for that sort of thing. So when you look at this particular app, who are the primary? crew of mental health coaches for the the the, the com app itself. So there are big teams behind these it, things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all have their teams just like that you got mail movie with the bookstore crews, right? I mean, it's the same uh, yeah. thing. So we we got Tamara Levitt, uh, head of mindfulness at Calm. Uh she had a troubled uh life and troubled home and basically turned to meditation uh as uh, basically a refuge for herself and wanted to share that with other people. So she it does a short daily uh, thing called the Daily Calm. Uh, it's about seven minutes long and uh, basically a new one every day. And uh, also does other things as well. But that's uh, that's what you'd, you'd mainly hear. So she was a musician and now she is a meditation coach. So that is her. We have Jeff Warren. He's a bit more of a serious father kind of figure. He, that's that's kind of the friendly uncle, the wise uncle kind of character. Uh, he is a mindfulness instructor and uh, does slightly longer meditations. Uh, he does, they're called the Daily Trip, and they're uh, you know basically a little more into the deeper psychology stuff. Uh, he kind of goes for occasional wry wit uh, comes out. He's he's uh, not without humor, but he, he tends to approach things pretty seriously. Uh, Jay Shetty, one of my favorites, uh, I love he him. Is yeah a pop- popular meditation uh, instructor. And uh, kind of use, uses real-world examples and observations and stories t- to center his uh, meditation. So you learn something when you hear one of his things. You always walk away from the Daily J uh, having learned about something other than meditation and having it apply to what he's trying to teach. And all these people, it's, you, you hear them with their, their daily uh, contributions, and you also get, like, they do master classes. They get medit- do guided meditations and courses on a lot of different topics for beginners and, and more advanced people. So there's there's lots there uh, from all of these people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, big names, big, big names yes. being associated, which is really great because it's showing how big the app is now, too, and I guess, like, the world uh, around the app. What other resources does the Calm app offer? Yeah, so it offers, like all these apps, it has a library of other things. So, And it's constantly being added to. So there are over 300 bedtime sleep stories, they call them. And wow. some of them are written, read by famous people. Uh, Matthew McConaughey wrote, wrote, reads, reads one about the universe. Uh, you have uh, other... Ones I just heard one about an explorer who slept in a glacier uh, in, in the Arctic. So there's all sorts uh, from uh, different people reading these things, and they're constantly getting more. Uh, there are soundscapes, uh, just about anything you can think of, nature sounds, office sounds, cityscape, all the different sounds that you might want to listen to as background uh, to sort of focus your mind. Uh, there's curated uh, albums, so there's, there's music, 
as well. Uh, the soundscapes, they get pretty experimental. Uh, so that's kind of neat as, as well. They have some based on games and different things like that. Same with the music stuff. There's some surprising tracks in there that you, you wouldn't expect in a meditation app. So they're not afraid to experiment a bit here. And tons of courses and master classes on all sorts of psychology, happiness, gratitude, all kinds of different things, how to cope with stress, how to focus your mind, all kinds of different things. Mm. Um, are there any interactive tools, Mike? There are some. There are check-ins where you check in with your mood and you tell it you know, how I'm feeling right now. Uh, you get notified as you use the app. You do get notifications. Good on you. You've you've you know uh, done this three days in a row. Keep the streak going. Uh, you have some kind of interesting little interactive tools where I did one where it was like a, a mysterious uh, magical island, and you kind of go to these slides and you click through and they present you with the bits of description or I presume there's images with these as well uh, but you sort of click through at your own pace and just think about what you're reading and seeing so that's uh, that's something new that I hadn't found until quite recently actually and uh, there are probably more that I haven't discovered yet I kind of concentrate on the audio uh, you know the more less interactive stuff just by nature but there's, there's probably more things hidden in that app than I will ever find it's it's yep. massive it is massive and I, I like how they kind of offer everything and i'll ask you a follow-up question about that in a second but are there any problems you want to bring up maybe a hint hint accessibility yeah there are a few this is one of the rougher apps in, in terms of accessibility i think shine takes the record there for the roughest but calm could use some polish as well uh one of the things i've noticed as after you close a day like the daily j daily trip one of those uh, you do all the check-ins and continue and close to get back to the main uh, home screen, either on the, the discovery tab or the sleep tab or the home uh, tab. Any of those three tabs, you're going to wind up with a mainly unreadable page for some reason. And the only way to get it readable again is to close the app and reopen it. Uh, oh. The tabs are still there, but nothing else is there. So that's one thing. The other big gripe I have is you can't... Uh, lower or raise the volume with the uh, if you're using a keyboard or using your your headset uh there's no way to independently control the volume of the soundscape versus the rest of your what you're hearing so with voiceover that's a problem because you need yep. to hear voiceover as well as the music or sound and some of the soundscapes they're not too bad but some of them can be a little overpowering the music is more prone to really presenting a problem there so, and you can't pause it without going into the app, finding the pause button in the player that you have to expand first. Oh. And it's, it's, it's that kind of thing, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only solution, if, if you want something quick and dirty to sort of help with this, is to use turn on audio ducking. And that's not perfect because it's going to cause your, your soundscape or whatever to drop every time you, your voiceover has to speak, but at least you won't miss something it says. So that's kind of where you're stuck there with that. But as long as you're just mm -hmm. listening and not trying to do other things at once, then it's it's quite good. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in what Rum started to ask about getting into that. Just a little bit first, how can people subscribe to Calm Premium? Just why it's on our mind here. Yeah. Uh, so to subscribe, you can do two ways. You can go to the website at calm.com, and that is a U.S. company, so you will be presented with U.S. prices. You can use your credit card or PayPal and subscribe, and that might save you a bit of money because they don't have to pay Apple, uh, essentially. I kind of like to do the uh, Apple route. So I go in through the app and subscribe from in the app. 
And uh, then you can manage everything from the Apple App Store and the Mice account and then go into subscriptions and look through all the plans uh, in the subscriptions. Go to into subscriptions, go to Calm, double tap on that, and, and there's a see all plans. And look through all the options. I've They have sales, and I just uh, snagged a $60 subscription for the year uh, before it was $89. Mm. So you want to watch out for things like that. I usually provide pricing for stuff, but this time I, I didn't because it, it can change, and you should look for that because uh, you can really save some money there. Keep tabs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Mike, what I wanted to ask you was, you know, now we have Calm, like you said, Headspace, Shine, all these apps that are doing really well, and, and they have a presence, you know, outside their apps, right? Just the bringing in worlds of celebrities and influencers, and uh, you get, like, bits and pieces all over social media and such as well. But then we have mental health happening as a conversation overall everywhere. There are podcasts out, there's uh, content all over Audible and other original places where just people are bringing mental health in. Do you find one approach more or less useful than the other? Like if I don't have calm and I just go to all these other places, uh, am I missing out on some particular way of interacting? And why is it well, worth it to buy calm over that? Yeah, see, it, it depends. You really, it's all comes down to the people and, and their approaches to things, right? So each of these apps has their crew. That's part of what makes them special. Each of them will pull in different stars to read different stories and do different things. And that's all part of, you know, they're all trying to say, I'm special, I can give you this, and mm. no one else can. And so there is that constantly going on. Uh, but yeah, like, there's there's so many approaches. Like, if you have, I've, I have the book of the uh, uh, the uh, Guide to Headspace from the author, the founder of Headspace, uh, you could use, you could get a book, you could get, like, the Xenotizer app, or just use the timer on your, and you know, the Nature Space app, something with soundscapes, there are ones in Apple Music. You could do a lot of this yourself, uh, but these apps offer that uh, everything in one app, and, and they package it nicely, and they they make the approach easier for people. Right. So if they offer that. Uh, like you say, you can get that in a lot of different places. There are podcasts. There's Audible. Has, has loads of this stuff. Uh, so look around, find what fits your budget and what really works for you. I I find these apps pretty useful. Um, Headspace would still kind of be my favorite, but I'm going to stick with Calm for at least the next year and just see where I ultimately fall on that. You bought it, but, yeah. Uh, but Calm is is one of the more popular. They they pull in. It's the more generic one of these things. They have all these the famous people you'll know. You'll you'll come with. They have their own kind of meditative experts that are. I find they, like uh, they, it's more aimed at the average person. I guess as as far as that goes. And then it's it's a bit quirky. Calm is a bit quirky with the experimental soundtracks. Of, there's one based on oh, like Jurassic World, uh, Halo. Some of the games uh, have have soundscapes based on it, and some of the albums are just it's, the music. The instrumental music is really different when you get into those albums. So look around for that kind of playfulness that I find Calm has a bit more of than other apps of this sort. And it sounds like they're trying to pull everybody in from any direction, which is exactly what they're doing, right? They're, yes. they're able to do that yeah. so well. Awesome, Mike. And, Thank and you the, for the review. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know the pandemic really gave these apps. All of them have their hour to shine really during the pandemic. So it, it, it's done a lot for moving this into the main mainstream mm -hmm. rather than the fringes. When we needed it the most, too. So that makes a exactly. lot of sense. Appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. We'll see you then.
Mike Fair joining us on Thursdays for audio entertainment and a little bit of tech. Today we reviewed the Calm app, which you can find in the Apple App Store or in the Google Play Store. After the break, Fern Lullum is joining us. We're talking about emotional triggers. She's going to tell us how we can respond differently than we already do if it's not working out for us. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramia. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. You're tuned into Kelly and Ramia on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, or wherever you listen to podcast platforms. We just came out of a mental health conversation with Mike Fair, specifically about the Calm app that you can find and pay for on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. And uh, I guess we'll be getting into another mental health conversation now, Kels. Yeah, a lot of stuff on the program today. Please keep in mind, folks, we're, we're, we're here with you and here with us from the UK for her bi-weekly check-in, Fern Lullum. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. Okay, Fern, wonderful conversation piece today, and something I think, well, I, I'm going to let you kind of feel this out more, but my thought is a lot of time, we talk about people not taking each other serious, but a lot of time we don't take emotional triggering serious. And that's what we're talking about today on the program and finding out how we can respond differently to it. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. This is a term that I think we hear more and more now, don't we, to be triggered or yep. a trigger warning or I've been triggered. And I think that kind of links into what you've just said there, Kelly, because when this psychobabble comes into the mainstream, it can have two effects. It's kind of a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, it can be great because it means more people are talking about it. But on the other hand, sometimes it kind of diminishes the effect of the, the term and actually how much it means to people. So let's delve into this and figure out if you're experiencing triggering, what can you do? Okay, friend. so let's start with first things first. What is that emotional trigger? Yeah, so emotional triggers are basically everywhere and they can be pretty much anything. So essentially what an emotional trigger is, is it's any sensory experience that reminds you of a past event or experience that you have had in the past. Um, and when you experience it, it will be quite intense, quite overwhelming, and it can happen just out of the blue, completely unexpectedly. So it can come over you and you're just not ready for it. So that's why it can be quite unsettling for some people. Mm -hmm. And complicated to identify. So can you give us some examples of common triggers and how they could be different from person to person? Yes. So like I mentioned, it's any kind of stimuli. So it could be like a, a particular perfume or a fragrance that reminds you of an ex, for example, or it could be the smell of somebody's particular dinner that you used to have, you know, or it could be the feel of somebody's clothing when you give them a hug. It could be the way somebody talks, you know, kind of like the pattern of their talking or the tone of their talking or a certain expression that they use. It could be somebody's wallpaper that reminds you of your your grandmother you know it could there's so many things that it could be and in terms of how it can affect us differently person to person 
it creates this emotional response in us. But of course, that intense emotional response will look different to different people. So for some people, it might look like rage. You might get really, really angry. You might have a go at someone or you might storm out of the room. It might You might get emotional in terms of you might get upset. You might cry or you might be very quiet about it. You know, to the outward world, maybe people don't even realize that this is going on, but inwardly you can feel very uncomfortable. So the principle is the same, but how it presents can be quite different. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously sitting here, I'm thinking of things that I may feel have some kind of reaction like that to me, or whether it's a scent or something as you're talking for it. So what's the psychology behind emotional triggering? Well, emotional triggering all comes from this part of the brain called the amygdala, which you may have heard of before. It's quite a commonly talked about part of the brain. And it's kind of what we were referring to last time when we spoke about habits, you know, that unconscious part of the brain. And it's sort of our emotional center. And what the amygdala does, its job is to identify stimuli in our environment, to process threats. So basically, it's always scanning our surroundings for any potential danger, and then to act activate the fight or flight response. And so you can see where triggering comes from because you've got this amygdala whose job it is, it's kind of like your little personal alarm system, your security guard that walks around with you going, oh, are we okay, are we okay? And then something happens and all of a sudden it just goes crazy and hence the intense emotional response. Right. We're, we're not okay, right. Exactly. We're not okay. Exactly. Uh, so going back to identification and just knowing that you're having these emotional responses and it, from a trigger, how can we identify our own personal triggers? Well, this is all about getting really good at slowing down and just noticing what is happening to you. So in order to illustrate this, let me use an example. It's a completely hypothetical example, as always, nothing related to my own life. So let's say your partner, you know, not called Josh or anything, just your partner, whoever that might be, <laughs> um, they say something to you like, oh, just remember um, to take your mug out because we've got people coming around later. So just, just remember because it's just sat there. Completely, you know, innocently, didn't mean anything. Reasonable by it. request, yeah. Exactly. But you lose your mind over it, right? Because you think, how dare he speak to me like that? Does he think I'm incompetent? Obviously, I was going to take it out. God, he doesn't give me a second to just do it for myself. So all of this suddenly comes up in you. And after this, we have two options. We can either think, what is wrong with me? Like, I'm so ashamed of that. And, you know, why did I react that way? Probably fueled by the other person because defensively and, you know, fairly enough, they will probably say, God, what's your problem? You know, like I was only asking. What's, yeah, what's this is, you know, this is going on in couples everywhere um, yeah. and oh, in yeah. families. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Josh, I mean, I, mean, you, I, know, you, I know you've only no, heard about us. it, right? <laughs> Yeah, everyone but us. I mean, it. we have no experience of it, but I'm sure everyone else, <laughs> you know, good. this is something that happens. And, and so we shame ourselves and we get so lost in that shame that we forget to be curious. We forget to actually just take a step back and go, hang on a minute, that really was quite a big response that I had to that. What did that remind me of? Did that remind me of when I was little and my parents never trusted me or, you know, just events through my life that have made me feel less than or made me feel insecure, like I need to, um, you know, stand up for myself and justify myself all of the time. 
what is happening here? What are the emotions that are coming up? And why am I responding in this way? And then once we're kind of aware that hmm, maybe this is something for me, the next time something similar comes up, we can have that flagged in our mind and we can go, ah, this is a pattern mm. for me. Maybe this is one of my triggers. And that's something we had to practice though. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. It's not something that happens overnight. It takes a while. And being okay with it and making sure before you do that, apologize. Well, okay, maybe right after at least apologize. Uh, sorry, I overreacted to that. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, not laughing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I guess oh. apologies sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes is required. Sometimes helpful, right? It happens right? twice in a row, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, over the but course possibly. of time. Why don't you just let me worry about my mug, right? Okay. Are there specific <laughs> techniques or strategies to manage emotional triggers, Fern? Yeah, the first one is, I'm quite proud of this one, by the way. Um, remember that this, what is happening to you is it's past pain that is making the present unpleasant, right? Easy way to remember right, it because right. it's a nice little rhyme. Past pain, like making that. the present unpleasant. Like Thank you. I came up with that all by good. myself. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that like you appreciate song. it, Um, Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's, that's how you can think about it. This is not what's happening now. And that kind of takes away the sting of the shame because you're not like, why did I react like that? That it's not, it's nothing to do with what's happening now. It's reminding you of something that was horrible that happened to you when you were much littler probably and didn't have the same resources that you have now as an adult to cope with it so well. So have compassion for yourself. And to kind of mitigate the fact that this is something from the past, ground yourself in the present. So take a deep breath, you know, um, orientate yourself to your surroundings. So what, what does it smell like? You know, what does it feel like where, where you are right now? And also, you know, other techniques for grounding you can use is just um, go through one of your favorite nursery rhymes or your, the, the lyrics to one of your favorite, see if you can remember all the lyrics to one of your favorite songs, because that's quite a challenge in itself. Right. Get yourself back into that logical mind <laughs> And, you know, out of that amygdala, fight or flight, get back into your logical mind where you've got to think about something and you can say, I'm here now, it's okay, I don't need to respond like this. And again, just having that moment to slow down and to just be kind to yourself and be curious about what, what is this bringing up for me and how can I respond differently? And can I maybe reshape the associations that I have with this thing so that I can diminish this trigger for future so it doesn't, it isn't, doesn't produce such a big emotional response in me forever? And that's that muscle that I was referring to earlier, like muscle figuratively, right? But where we're practicing kind of taking ourselves out of the emotion or when the emotion passes to be like, whoa, where did that come from? Um, can, by doing this, Fern, your, your suggestion, can mm -hmm. we unlearn or reprogram the way that we respond to emotional triggers over time? Yes, we absolutely can. And like I say, it takes a while. This is not something that happens overnight. So you've got to be patient with it. But the more you practice, like you say, flex that muscle and just find ways to, to kind of have new experiences, have different experiences with that thing. You need to become aware of what meaning you're assigning to this thing. Because quite often it's the meaning that we assign to something more than the thing itself. So what story right. does this carry with it? What weight does it hold up for you? And once you can become aware of that, you can start to change that. And sometimes it's useful to do that with support, you know, maybe with a therapist or with a counselor, just to walk you through that. And But over time, the more you do it, yes, it can certainly change. This is not something that you might be stuck with forever. 
Especially because we spent years doing it that way, you know, like being triggered, just letting our emotional roller coasters ride through. Uh, maybe the way that we grew up with our families, this is just like such a normal approach. And so we got to unlearn a lot of that, years and years yeah. of it. Yep. And it takes some time. Mm -hmm. Can having a disability influence a person's emotional triggers? It can. Uh, I would say, you know, as I always say, you know, not potentially for everyone, but I think there are certain unique challenges that we have as disabled people, like barriers to accessibility, the frustrations that we deal with on a daily basis, societal misconceptions about things, so that when somebody comes to us, again, quite innocently and says, can I help you? We go, how dare you? How dare you ask me? <laughs> yeah. I do not need, you're assuming right. that I am useless and don't and can't, you know. And so there are certain things that we just need to be aware of and go, okay, is this a situation where I need to fight or flight? Or are, you know, is this person just being kind and they're yeah. trying to really do a nice thing. I do, in that Us. same vein, want to ask, sorry, I know we're out of time, but really quickly, how do you recommend we approach and help someone who's experiencing an intense emotional trigger, especially if we can tell? Yes, do not shame them, validate them, support them by saying, you know, I, I've experienced this before. Intense emotion is quite normal. Don't make someone feel bad or feel like they've got a problem because they're experiencing this. Just listen to them and help them explore what's going on here in a really non-judgmental way. Awesome, Fern. Anything in closing real quick that we need to remember when it comes to being triggered? Well, we need to remember that this is past pain that's making the present unpleasant. I think that's very important. Um, and I think also to just say that asking for help in this situation is not a weakness. It can, in fact, be our greatest strength. So embrace mm. that. And Fern? Don't knock any mugs over, okay? Just in case, you know, not that you would have the issue of Kelly, leaving any behind. She can do it, Just in right? case. She'll uh, do it. You're triggering me. You don't, don't want to have to do a cleanup, right? Or no, shall we say You deal with your mug whenever you want to. Fern, take <laughs> care. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Have a great show. <laughs> Fern Lullum joins us every other Thursday here on the program. Opposite, what in the world? It's questionable whether we practice validation on the show or not. But anyways, we're going to not spend some time on that. Take a break. Just be come, careful you don't knock your coffee over there. Come right? back. Be it's careful. empty just, just in case. And the dog's laying right there. Don't get Ah, uh, Speaking of dogs, after the break, we're talking about how scientists are proving that dogs judge humans by their competence. <gasps> dogs testing humans? Unheard of. We're going to talk about it on the bus with Essex. Beth Deer. We'll be right back. Look up. Start judging. Start judging. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and wherever you listen to podcasts, we are uploading daily in full show format and in segment format so feel free to check out your podcast feed at any given moment for uh, a plethora of kelly and Romeo content speaking of a plethora of kelly and Romeo content the buzz this we have three times a week on the show wednesdays thursdays and fridays bill shackleton is our usual uh, buzz guy but as he's not here for a spell we have beth deer filling in and beth brings us all kinds of articles and interesting stories to the table i think we sneak in a lot of animal content on the buzz beth so thank you so much maybe just a little bit of animal content mainly ah, dogs and i feel like i've bought 
a crazy amount of bear stories as well. Exactly. <laughs> I don't bear know. Bear stories like, have been huge cats. though this last year. Yeah. I haven't really bought any cat stories yet, but I'm I will. You I will. will. Yeah. I promise. Yeah, cats, of course. Cats are common. Yeah, we we love all animals on the show, so certainly you guys. You do. and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Me and you love all animals. Mm-hmm. Kelly just like Jumps on the bandwagon. You're a bit choosy, but you know, hates them. Oh, I don't he do said that. something Only so I... sentimental over one of these breaks today. He remembers the anniversary of when he met Glasgow for the first time. Oh my goodness! When would that have even been? I don't know. December 2019. Oh, yeah. Was it? Wow. Yeah. 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 He remembered. So he's anyways. like, was it? But like, didn't he just say that he like? Yeah, he's not dog? gonna admit these things on air. <laughs> he's gonna completely pretend like he has no idea what we're talking about. So, where do His you want to start? His actual real name is Essex, anyway. <laughs> anyway that's not true. <laughs> I actually don't hate that though. That could be kind of cute. It, um, yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Okay, so I am sat here right now with Popo, who is, in my opinion, the judgiest dog in the world and scientists (laughs) have in fact proved that dogs judge humans on their competence which i I don't even need to know more i just totally agree (laughs) (laughs) now uh, and beth at one uh, when you were a teenager you could see fully can you not just uh, still imagine that that dog just kind of giving the judging look when you're trying to do something and you're that all you're pouring out you just that what you honestly Come on, pick Before that up. Before I even read this article, you guys, I was like, I feel like, in my opinion, majority of guide dog users will already know, even like dogs as pets, I feel like everyone yep. who owns a dog knows they are judgmental. Yep. But guide dog users in particular, Patronus, if a person tried to pet him when he was working, he would just give... One, he would give them like this stink eye look of like, um, what are you doing? Can you not read? Because he had a huge sign on him. <laughs> like, obviously, he said, don't pet me. Yeah. And also, like, if they had already asked and I'd said no and they did it anyway, he would like look at me oh, like, like, oh, I can't like, believe this. Human. Do you understand you like person? what's happening right now? <laughs> Scoff at this person. Like, I know what I'm doing. Seriously. Clearly, you don't. Yep. No, totally. Exactly. You have no so respect for me. <laughs> So researchers at Kyoto University in Japan tested a number of pet dogs in a special uh, experiment. They found that dogs were more interested in the humans who had performed better a certain task than those who had struggled. Female dogs proved to be... No, 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 just wait. (laughs) That is how they actually determine, like, (laughs) just... Just hold your horses, Kelly. I'll I'll get into it. Um, Horses now, too. Oh, man. um, Than those who struggled. Female dogs proved to be the most judgmental, which I feel like that's kind of like no surprise there. Um, And they much preferred the humans who had done well in these experiments. So the team tested 74 different pet dogs from lots of different breeds in in this research trial. Um, humans vol- human volunteers were put into two groups. The first group were told to open an empty box quickly and show it to the dog. The second group were told to struggle to open the box um, and, again, show, them the d- show it to the dog. Um, 
Uh, but they also had to kind of like show that they gave up. So they would just like sit there and like continuously try and open this box and obviously like not have any luck. Get out. Um, I know, like how I, I don't want to say this dumb, but like, <laughs> this is <laughs> like so... the fact that this, this is determining what, yeah. Is, what the dog's face. <laughs> oh my, I, I feel judged already. <laughs> Like jars that Glasgow has seen me try to open and then put away. Like he's judged me for that? Are you kidding me? And, this doesn't even concern disgust. you, Glasgow. Come on. Okay, go on. Oh, okay, so though. after this, the dogs were shown the same two sets of people who both held treats. The dogs then chose which human to get the treats from. Overall, the dogs chose treats from the humans who had shown the ability to open the box quickly. Stop. That makes sense. This, yep. So makes this sense. judgment based on how another animal acts is something that is seen in other animals like dolphins, oh, ravens, yeah. and chimpanzees, which are all animals that live socially. Um, what do we all think about this? So is it kind of like the pack leader thing? Like if my dog is supposed to draw, oh, man, this is so old school. But, you know, like oh, the... Man. It, it, you know, if you're supposed to take care of me, but you can't even open that box, how am I going to trust that you no, are so able they're to? Like, it just shows they're closer to human beings because, man, we're all interested in the person that delivers our food to the table quickest. <laughs> Is that what it's really about? <laughs> like, but, like, can you Kelly, open my like, box that's of where, treats? Like, they, did, they gave them, like, the fair shot in terms of, like, everyone got their treats at the same time they were all stood in a line and the dogs got to decide who they wanted to go to and they were like oh, no i don't know i'm Beth's not gonna, gonna open that jar you fumble like a um, fool trying to open it like what the heck is this I... I have noticed in our house patronus again because he is just more human than dog like they breed the retriever out of a lot of guide dogs in terms of right. their like instincts so like i will throw a ball for jake our other dog who is all dog and patronus will stand next to me and he'll stare at me and stare at the ball and stare at jake and lay down like he is just like that was so dumb why did you do that now how someone has to go and get that and look <laughs> at jake like he's an idiot he actually but he knows that. that's it he knows jake get to work man i'm taking a yeah. nap over here it's really interesting. I mean, judges you for everything, like literally every everything. No, no kidding. I think he thinks I talk too much. Too, He's right? so oh. oh, he is so vocal about his judgments too. Like there are a lot of signs like of when exasperation. You're talking too much does he how like you know kind of sometimes I'll talk and I'll move to a different room and he hasn't followed me and then I'll be like Glasgow, oh. I was talking to you and then he'll follow me in but then he'll <laughs> sigh and then melt down into the rug like yeah I'm here. Yes, um, I know you were. But I also think like you know compared to me and my mom, there's a lot of difference in behavior in the way that he'll kind of take advantage React. of one person over the other. Mm-hmm. Mm. But that's that's just isn't difference that, in that, authority. But isn't that I think. called treats or uh, spoiling? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or... she spoils him. It's grandma, right? That's it. I'm very curious about the yeah, study, though, and I'm also curious rules. why it happened in Japan. Why is this as a? Yeah, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe I can look into that. But I and also like. I, I find it strange that they kind of picked different breeds of dogs. I get it. It was more of yeah. like a generalization, but like you would kind of think that like to get more of a, uh, I don't know, in-depth kind of look, they would have picked 
one breed, especially because in my opinion, obviously, in fact, we actually know that some dogs are more food motivated than others. Mm. Sure. Like, sure. And, know, and I think we always claim intelligence to too. And we acclaim, you know, which one's smarter, which one has more emotion or feel. Like, I, I think we do that with dogs. So we know people, the first thing they're going to ask it when you do a test, oh, well, which one seemed to be smarter about it? Which one seemed to be more patient with you? Which way? We as human beings always ask this as if, you know, well, my breed's smarter than yours. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is more fun than anything, but, uh, yeah, you know, I wonder, sure. I'd be surprised if it goes anywhere further than this. Beth, do you want to quickly go through another article you brought? Um, sure. So last week, a volcano erupted in Iceland, and this, I, I won't go into the whole article because it's very wordy, but essentially they evacuated this tiny little town of 3,800 people, um, and they could see over like the live stream from the site that it showed like fountains of molten lava just like spewing from holes in the ground uh the bright orange lava flowed glowing against the dark sky lava began snaking forward to the community around 8 a.m local time oh following a series of small earthquakes um the I want to. I hope I'm saying this right. Meteorological office said hours later, Ooh, a well. second hole opened. Thank you. Um, <laughs> opened near the edge of the town and basically just like slowly crept towards all the homes. It really just made me think about how kind of lucky we are here in Canada. Yes, we do have natural disasters. I know here in Alberta we get tornadoes in the summer. Obviously, we get like big cold snaps in the winter. But could you imagine literally holes opening up around your home and like yeah. burning gook coming out of it? Like That's that is terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. And the thing is, like, people who live in these areas, pretty much that's what they sign up for. Right. And that's what mm -hmm. I think about more often than anything, not just like me thinking, oh, can you imagine going through this natural disaster all the time? But or like, you know, surprisingly, but also that people who sign up to live in in places with hurricanes, with volcanoes, with tremors and, and uh, earthquakes and things like that, like you're just you're signing up for this at any given moment. And that's just the way it is. Like, that's your environment. That to me is like, wow. It's terrifying. Like, I actually know a lady that had a house in Florida and they had renovated it. It was beautiful and it got hit by two hurricanes, like so oh, close man. together that yeah. they had an outdoor pool and they didn't drain the pool beforehand, but they lived oh. right on like the ocean. So the pressure from the water coming from like all sides pushed the pool out of the ground. Whoa. And Oof. their newly renovated home was destroyed so they are now literally like rebuilding it from the ground up and they're making it so that the bottom house bottom part is just a garage and if it you know if it happens again it happens again it's not going to be a big deal but the yeah, kind of resilience so <laughs> yeah the kind of resilience you need to be able to deal with these kind of things over and over again potentially absolutely beth appreciate it we'll try with you tomorrow sounds good all right Beth Deer on the buzz, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, filling in for Bill Shackleton. Uh, we're starting hour two after the break. We have our weekly roundtable with Mike Fear. He's going to be back to talk about uh, some of the subjects that Kelly's picked out. Also, we're talking about... or.
they are talking to someone from the Ontario Science Centre because they've got an Our Climate Quest exhibit that is supposed to uh, help us reduce climate waste. But after the break, we got Mary Mammoliti joining us to talk about top foods for elevating our mood. We'll be back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. We're back with hour two of Kelly and Rumia. This is the, where are we? January 25th episode of the show. Kelly McDonald, Rumia Umbathen, we're here. And it's a uh, proper, regular, very reliable Thursday lineup of the show, Kels. So over to you. Kind of gives you that feeling and gets you warmed up for our Friday where we set you right up for the weekend. And why do I say that? Well, on Thursdays, we get cooking with Mary Mammoliti of Cooking Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mammoliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Well, Rum reminded you of the date, ladies and gentlemen. It's January, and that festive buzz of the holiday celebrations has faded, faded farther away. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving us with chilly weather, short days, and a long stretch of winter ahead. However, the good news is it doesn't have to be all gloom and doom, or doom and gloom, however you want to say it. Wow. Mary is here with some foods to help boost your positivity and kick it out of here. Those winter blues to the curb. Mayor, what are those top <laughs> foods to eat known for their mood-elevating um, boost? I mean, I tell you, if you weren't smiling, you're smiling after that intro. I mean, that was fantastic. Yeah, bravo. Thank you for that, right? You're welcome. Thank you. Now you um, know the exchange because these guys are sitting on the edge of, what do I need to eat now? Help me, help me, please. Absolutely. So eating foods that are high in vitamins B, C, and D, and the ones that are rich in magnesium, iron, folate, uh, omega-3 fatty acids, those are key. So let's start with mood-boosting vitamin D, my favorite. Okay. I love this one. So in the winter months, with limited exposure to sunlight, I mean, it's likely that we might not be meeting our daily recommended dose of vitamin D. For so sure. fortunately, right, we can boost that, and we can boost our intake by incorporating foods that, or foods into our diet, like dairy products, eggs, fish like sardines, salmon. These are excellent sources of essential vitamins and they work beyond lifting our mood. So it's increasing increasing your vitamin D level. It can contribute to a healthy immune system. And we want all that in the winter months. Mm. Uh, so does this, let's go to the omega-3 part of it. Does maintaining adequate yeah. levels of omega-3 in our bodies play a role in uplifting our mood. Absolutely. So intake of these essential fatty acids into your diet, it can give your motivation a little bit of a nudge. Um, Omega-3 rich sources, they include oily fish like salmon, like I mentioned, mackerel, mm -hmm. sardines. Uh, there's the sardines again. So herring, trout. And then we've got nuts like walnuts, flax seeds, uh, pumpkin seeds, soy, Flaxseed oil. Flaxseed oil is fun because you can simply just drizzle a little bit of this over steamed vegetables or add it to your salad dressing. 
Um, another great source Does of it omega have a, Sorry, back yeah. to flaxseed oil quickly. Does it have yeah. a very distinctive taste? I've never had it. Oh, it's um, it has a bit of a taste, really, but no, it can, right? it can melt into a, your foods. Yeah. Not really. Okay. That's what I find. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. It's very light. So it works well. You can just drizzle onto something. I mean, I'm not saying a whole bunch of it, but a little bit. But you can add it to head. dressings and things like that without necessarily Absolutely. throwing the whole thing off. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't use it in substitute for your olive oil or for whatever you're using right. as the base, but add it to it. Okay. What else? And another great, another great source of vitamin of, uh, sorry, I was going to go back to vitamin D, my favorite. Omega-3s <laughs> we're talking about is uh, dark green leafy vegetables. So like spinach, kale, other vegetables, maybe like broccoli, cabbage, some Swiss chard. Um, what if you don't eat fish, right? I got you. Chia seeds, black seeds, these are the best plant source of omega-3s. And they could be sprinkled over your oats, um, rolled oats in the morning, so good, soups, salads. I mean, also eating, and this one I found really interesting, also eating a serving um, of mushrooms is the equivalent to taking a daily vitamin D supplement. Oh, right? Wow. So, yeah, a serving side of mushrooms, serving size of mushrooms that can vary. So, but typically standard serving is about one cup of, I'd say, raw mushrooms and maybe half a cup of cooked mushrooms. Then how these have, I want to explain how these fatty acids work. And it's by increasing the brain's production of serotonin and dopamine. These are the neurotransmitters that are directly linked to our mood. So without getting too technical here, I do want to mention, so let me preface this by eating a cup of broccoli. It's not going to magically boost our mood into the happiest that we've ever been, right? So it, nothing is magic. But however, all these vitamin-rich foods and what you're feeding your body are simply recommendations to help us along the way. And it does right. help because you're feeding all this good food. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a leveler. It's like, I mean, obviously, you, you take it regularly. You're going to get the boost, whether it's the D, whether it's the omega. Yeah. Um, you're going to bring yourself up so that you're not crashing on, on these at any given time, um, which, again, as well, is going to Absolutely. take its time for you to kind of recover from it. So not only are fresh fruits a great snack and deliciously fresh, but can fruits serve... I guess is that tasty way to, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying eat an apple and where you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to mention that. Up, you know, uplift you a little yeah. bit. It does, because these specific vitamins, they do help in boosting those moods. Uh, like we mentioned. Not just so, the sugar. No, not just the sugar. <laughs> oh, okay. Exactly. Not just the sugar natural makes sugar. Sugar so happy. <laughs> but then you crash. You crash right yeah. after that. I mean, I, I, I'm there with you. I love sugar. I mean, I can just sit there and, and just down a box of chocolates no problem mm -hmm. uh, right but in this one i want to talk about citrus fruits that's a that's a candy right, so apple you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> so when i'm talking about fresh fruits go think you get a personal dose of liquid sunshine with them at least that's how i feel when i'm eating these fresh fruits so oranges grapefruits lemons limes they're loaded with vitamin c uh, it's a great way to combat fatigue and we can beat those blues, right, with a little bit of vitamin C. Um, and if you're into cherries, right, and dark berries, which I love, uh, right. you're in for a treat. Because these are packed with antioxidants and folate, also known as B9. Um, and it's just like omega-3. These berries, they help your brain produce serotonin, dopamine, all feel-good stuff. 
and they're good for you. So if you need something a little more portable and uh, something that's great for on the go, grab a banana. You mm. wouldn't think, but a banana is great because it's easy to eat. It's loaded with all essential mood-boosting vitamins, mm-hmm. A, C, B6, fiber, potassium, so much more. Yeah. So I would take that grab and go. And the great thing about many of these natural energy boosting foods is that you can keep them handy. You can keep them at your desk drawer. You can keep them in your purse, your backpack for whatever quick snack you need. It'll be there. Yeah. yeah. And the um, raw and, foods. And, and, well, yeah. And, and, I mean, Mary, mm. you talked about the omega-3s, the fish. Then we're talking about citrus. And I remember all those commercials that made Florida look so good. The sunshine. And that was kind of the way to yeah. push citrus at that point. But it is interesting because, and I don't know if you two, how you feel, but I feel when you're, and we talked about this mainly in the summertime, as soon as you start eating these things in the summer, there's almost mm-hmm. a cleansing of your palate right through your body. You feel something go you that maybe that. you stop and say, is that this, the sugar? Or, But it's more of a purity, a cleansing. Mm, yeah. and, and I used to think, oh, yeah. that's in your head. No, you can definitely tell how different foods are interacting with your, uh, like, being processed through your body, I guess. And you can really tell, especially when we talk with nutritionist Julia Karanchis about, um, you know, mm-hmm. warmer foods in the winter and colder foods in the mm-hmm. summer and, and things That's that make right. you feel more refreshed or, uh, as you say, satiated versus just like a, that huge, you know... Um, what do you call it? Like you feel super stuffed right after eating and bloated. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Instead not... of dopey, tired, slowed yeah. down, sluggish. You yeah. Feel an energy, but a cleansing. A satiate. Yeah. And yeah. Mary Absolutely. too, just wanted to add to the end of the fruits conversation that, you know, all mm-hmm. these raw fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes that we can have, maybe not legumes, but the rest of it that we can mm-hmm. have, uh, help you process the, um, supplements that you might be taking along with this stuff, right? Like your multivitamins Absolutely. and everything else. Yeah. That's a great point to bring up yeah. because it does, it aids in that. Exactly. And assists. Mm-hmm. So we often talk about the first thing that we put in our bodies to fuel ourselves, to energize and wake ourselves up in the morning. What's a mm-hmm. good example of an immune boosting breakfast? Oh gosh. Beginning your day with a bowl of oatmeal is a fantastic way to stabilize mood, right? So rolled oats, it releases energy slowly and steadily into your bloodstream. So it's avoiding that quick energy spike, like we just mentioned, Yep. sugary cereals, right? We love our sugar, but the problem is when you do have the sugary cereals or the white toast, I'm not saying don't ever have them. No, have them at the end of the on, day, that's fine. Yeah, like, if, <laughs> right? Because then it, those things, they're followed by a, a crashing dip. Right. And then it can leave you feeling tired and grumpy and no one wants to be grumpy or no one wants to be around anyone that's grumpy. At least I don't think so. Mm. Uh, right. So give your bowl of oats, right. Give that bowl of oats and even more mood boosting property or antioxidants with berries, a handful of nuts or seeds. It's the perfect way to start the day. Awesome. Okay. Well, Mary, we have a recipe, but I don't want you to run through it because you'll just be running too fast. Dish with Mary airs tonight at 9 PM. Talk to us a little bit about the episode. Dish with Mary tonight. Um, in this week's episode, I'm back in Montreal and we are exploring the vibrant world of Vietnamese cuisine. And we're chatting with Marilyn Tran, who owns several uh, restaurants within the city, which we'll visit this evening. Um, and you'll get to know a lot more about Marilyn, her restaurants, her family, how this all came about. And then we're making pho and she shares her unique spin on this traditional dish. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And I learned so much uh, because it's one type of cuisine that I hadn't cooked much before. 
So it was really, it was enjoyable. We had lots of fun. Marilyn's a fantastic teacher. Um, and I got to meet her mom, which will awesome. be a lot of fun. You'll get to meet them all this evening. Love it. Uh, tonight on uh, AMI-TV, of course, did you go to Schwartz's Delicatessen? I didn't have a chance to get there, but I'm planning on going back. I'm planning on going back because that is on my list to get to. Yeah, I did the, manage all the to homework, a right? Bagels. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah, the Montreal bagels for sure. Oh, there are lots of homework in that town. Uh, anyway, Mayor, thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful stuff as usual. Thank you, Mary. Mary boosting our mood today, giving us some idea how to pep us up, especially this time of the year. Check out Mary's discussions and recipes on kitchenconfession.com, and you can find the Kitchen Confession podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. The conversations with Mary are also mood boosting, so check her out on Thursdays with us. After the break, we're speaking with Raluca Ellis, researcher programmer for environmental sciences at the Ontario Science Centre, specifically about our climate quest. This is an exhibit that inspires youth to reduce their environmental impact. We're going to learn more about it after the break on Kelly and Romia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and podcasts. Uh, we're getting into a monthly Science Center check-in. Feels like forever. Every time I bring this intro in, I was like, has it only been a month since we last checked in on a science center or a museum or a, some kind of exhibit for education around the country? But yes, in this month, we're going to the Ontario Science Center, talking a little bit about the environment and uh, what we can learn there. Raluca Ellis is the researcher programmer for environmental sciences at the Ontario Science Center. And we're talking specifically about the Our Climate Quest exhibit. This is an exhibit that uh, encourages um, youth to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, a.k.a. environmental impact. So, Raluca, it's nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. Welcome. And before we get into the exhibit itself, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your passions for working at the uh, Ontario Science Centre, and maybe particularly about this exhibit and your interest there? Sure. Well, um, I have a PhD in environmental chemistry, and I've always been a bit of an outdoor science nerd. I love talking to people of all ages about our climate and our environment, and I'm really excited to talk about our Climate Quest, which is an exhibition that was produced by our friends at Science North, but designed by our amazing exhibit designers at the Ontario Science Centre. Nice. And how long have oh, you worked wow. at the OSC? I've been here for about six years. Okay, cool. That's amazing. And we're going to benefit because of that interest, as you put it, the nerdiness to, for the outside, because there is so much to take away. And this is one of those exhibits that I'd imagine, as you tell us a little bit about the uh, exhibit, um, it's kind of an interesting thing because we're all worried about our individual footprint to some degree, but we all don't want to be, be made to feel, I have to give up the most and do the most change to help the environment. Um, we've learned a lot on this show about smaller things to do. Can you tell us a little bit about the exhibit and what, what we might experience? Absolutely. So our Climate Quest is really great because it focuses on climate actions and solutions and shows how small steps can lead to big change. 
it really offers visitors of all ages an opportunity to reflect, to participate in and inspire meaningful action towards a more sustainable future. And it's really exciting about learning about these solutions because it's not really about what you have to sacrifice, but it's how can we make I... things better by going towards this more sustainable future. So that's what I'm really excited about here. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's the thing, because we get, our society has always been, well, how come you're not just getting the big guys to do this, that when they start, I'll start? Because so many small mm. things I'm sure that you're showing people are just those little things that, yeah, I can do that. Or, yeah, you know what? I shouldn't do that. I don't have to do it that way. That's wasteful. Absolutely. Yeah. Visitors can make changes in their in their daily routines or daily lives and in uh, lots of different ways. And I do acknowledge when learning about the climate crisis that it can be really easy to feel discouraged and not sure what mm -hmm. actions to take. But in this exhibition, it's about fostering that hopeful problem solving space where right. people are empowered to participate in climate action. Okay, so break down the exhibit for us. Like, how exactly are we participating in a, you know, in however sensory ways possible? So the exhibition is divided in a couple of different zones, which have their own themes, such as how we eat, how we shop, how we connect with nature. And each of these zones feature hands-on exhibits, interactive multimedia, and multi-sensory experiences games and real stories about real people taking climate action across Canada. There are a lot of really fun tactile elements uh, throughout the exhibition. One of my favorite ones and um, the coolest one, no pun intended, <laughs> is uh, where visitors can uh, touch surfaces and feel a temperature difference. So there's this one exhibit where it shows a difference between a white roof and a black roof. And because black surfaces hold more heat, the black roof right. is much hotter. Right. So it's a really cool, very intuitive way to demonstrate that effect. I love wow. that. What a simple concept, but so uh, such a big part in understanding the bigger conversations, right? About, uh, you know, like you, you hear about these solutions of painting uh, everything white around us and using these extra um, heat absorbent white paints. And you have no idea how to take part in that conversation or even how to form an opinion on it if you don't fully grasp the importance. That's right. And the conversations is actually the key. That's that's one of the things that we hope to really encourage with this exhibition is for people to have conversations. Um, like the majority of, of Canadians are, are worried and concerned and want to do something about climate change. Mm -hmm. In time, majority think that others don't care about climate right. change. So you know, there's yeah. a disconnect there. It's uh, It tells me that we're not talking about it enough. So sure. we're really hoping to spark a lot of conversations about climate change and how you connect with it uh, through this exhibition. Okay, so can you give us... Did you guys change a little bit of the... When you put this together, um, be, to get kind of... And foster conversations, is there that extra person that's kind of there when, when students are looking and stuff? Do you have any staff? Do you, you know, is there anything that you would say you've done different to make those conversations? Or, you know, obviously you hope organically teachers and students are going to have the chat or with each other when they say, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize it held that much heat. Um, how, how did you kind of encourage that? Yeah, we have a team of amazing and really talented hosts. Those are those folks that you see walking around in the white lab coats. 
And right? yeah. they have, we had like a three hour training session together last week where we had those hard conversations ourselves. And we talked about how we can inspire our visitors. So if you're at the Science Center, definitely look for them, uh, ask your questions. And uh, this is what it's about. It's about talking and it's about uh, asking questions and about sparking curiosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. To find out those things that when you look at the exhibit, when you go through it, these visitors can use things to make the difference at school or at home, right? Those little things. Yeah. Can you give us more, uh, maybe one more example of a sensory experience around this exhibit? Uh, sure. So we mentioned the... Um, the heat ones, those are really great. There's actually three different uh, ones that, that play around with temperatures. Um, there's also one with uh, an infrared camera where you can see the temperature difference of materials like wood or metal, uh, but you can also feel them. So you can feel how the metal is so much hotter. And then you kind of start to think about what type of materials we use in our built environment. Um, we also have a really wonderful little zone um, towards the back of the exhibition that is really private and 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 it's you know we call it the reflection zone but it's a place where where people can um, think about and and respond to some questions that we might have about how you feel what you think about this mm. and within that zone there's a little puppet theater so our youngest visitors can get involved too and uh and talk about how how they feel as this is such an interesting point because uh, it is such a personal reflective process, right? Taking part in this conversation, really coming at it. Honestly, like some of us, I think, are going to struggle with our own defensiveness around this conversation altogether, this topic of climate change and how much we do or don't do in our daily lives already. So, you know, you might resist parts of this. So having that, you know, like what made you put that part into the exhibit where you're kind of exploring your own thoughts and processes around this? Well, that's that's really important. That's one of the most important things, in my opinion, because there are so many emotions associated with uh, with climate change. Uh, you know, there's there's fear, there's anger, there's despair, there's positive emotions too. Don't sure. get me wrong. There's mm -hmm. curiosity, yeah. there's inspiration, there is hope, but there's a lot of emotions around this topic. And uh, you know, the first step in learning how to manage your emotions is, is to acknowledge them. So we want to acknowledge that there's a lot of emotions around this um, and express those emotions in an open way. And then we can move together towards solutions. Right. Yeah, yeah because there's a lot of, that's not really true. People are pushing this agenda. This isn't as extreme. There's a lot of those things that young people are hearing and it really makes not just young people, oh, you know, adults, older adults, mm -hmm. our head spin and taking that time for people to be able to think about this or this being isolated by you guys putting this exhibit together saying, what are we fighting? We're fighting people who sometimes have mentality of the world's still flat, so this stuff really isn't happening. Yeah. Don't listen to it's them. It's a spectrum. Yeah. It's and 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 people in their own viewpoint and trying to push their I don't want to just say agenda. Some people are saying these things based on their own fear or their, I don't know what to do, so it's easier to put my head in the sand. Mm -hmm. And they spread that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is really a lot of fear around it. And and there's a lot of misinformation that comes from that. So, you know, we're really trying to, to share good science, you know, good information, help people understand what choices they have. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, yeah, and, like, and we're that's... not in a 
perfect situation, right? Like, that's clearly why we're doing all this. Um, but, you know, there's that, as you mentioned off the top of the, the conversation, where we're trying to fight hopelessness, right? Like, that's the concept we're really trying to uh, take out and put something else back in because there's so much of this doom and gloom of like we have nowhere we can go we have no what nothing we can do in our own lives in our daily lives somebody else has got to take the responsibility because we just can't make that impact and i think that's yeah. what we're trying to uh change absolutely yes we want to inspire hope that's such a big part of it and it's uh you know there is a place for everyone to take action there is a pathway for you that's one of the great things about this exhibition is that it has so many different different ways that you can connect with something that is meaningful for you and and small steps and small actions do matter because mm-hmm. then you start to steamroll into more mm-hmm. so you know you got to start somewhere and nothing's ever perfect so we can't be perfect at climate action nobody is but we need we know we don't need a couple of people to to do things perfectly we need millions of people to do many things yeah uh, you know at the best they can and to show that we are taking part in in these things when you put it together who did you guys envision the most i mean i know a lot of the visitors are young people but we know the conversation and just as stymied, just as confused are people, you know, whether they're the in their 30s or 50s, yeah. the rest of us out there mm-hmm. saying the thing, or what can I do? Ah, oh, nothing. And that same confusion. Who would you guys think of in mind? Well, the great thing about the Ontario Science Centre is that it welcomes people of all ages. And we see families with children, but, you know, families can mean anywhere from um, a parent with their toddler with uh, or a grandparent um, with their grandchildren. So it really spans across all all age spectrums. And it's that that family piece, those family conversations that are right, really important. Yes. And there's there's some people that just they're not really sure how to start the conversation with their kids or with their families. And this also gives them an opportunity to do that. Yeah. It sure does. Wow. It's very exciting. I love the Ontario Science Centre for that. Like, it's just such a welcoming space. There's uh, so much to do and so much unconscious learning, right? Like, you're you're not necessarily having to go in and say, okay, I'm ready for this, but there's just stuff that happens, and then you walk away with this information going, wow. You, know, you this absorb. Was... Yeah, you absorb, exactly. Absorb it. It feels... yes. My experience. <laughs> yeah, because the tiniest things can click something in your brain that you never really expected it to, right? And it's just everywhere. You're just immersed yourself in that kind of philosophy when you walk in and everyone's super cool um tell us where we can go for more information to uh, find out more about the exhibit to just keep in touch with the osc absolutely please go to our website ontariosciencecenter.ca and lots of information there about our our exhibition Um, we also have some complimentary imax films that will be coming up soon Um, including Ancient Caves, uh, which is about a cave diver that looks at climate from the past. Oh, nice. And A Beautiful Planet, which is a wonderful, wonderful IMAX film, filmed from the International Space Station, and features astronauts who have such a unique view of the Earth when they see it from space. You know, this beautiful, small, tiny planet. Mm. Uh, They really come back with with a huge transformative um, care for the planet. 
Talk about zooming out <laughs> to take part in the con <laughs> concept. Uh, Riluka, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that you brought this to the table for us. And how long is the exhibit running, by the way? It will be open from now until April 9th. Okay, awesome. Lots of time. Uh, good luck. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hope to see you. Thank you. We were speaking with Raluca Ellis, researcher, programmer for environmental sciences at the Ontario Science Centre, talking about the uh, exhibit that you can check out from now till April 9th. It's all environment, everything, and uh, we look forward to hearing people's feedback. After the break, we got the weekly roundtable with weekly contributor Mike Fair, who was just here earlier on Thursdays. What a coinkydink. Kelly McDonald picked some topics for us. We're going to find out more about it after the break on Kelly and Romeo. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Romeo return in a minute. We're back with you. It's Kelly and Ramia, AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and podcast. That's where you can catch the show. We are weekdays, every weekday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, live on AMI-TV. And then you can find us wherever else you like, whenever. Kelly, I'm going to hand things over to you because uh, we have a weekly convo coming up that we're always looking forward to. Yeah, we call it the roundtable, folks. Let's get to it as we welcome in a guest and we get into different conversation. The roundtable weekly, headed your way. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually it oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now, goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. Say, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. So he returns to the program because Michael Fair is everywhere. Mike, thanks a lot for doing this. Problem. So the way the round table table the round table table works, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we uh, do this little gathering. We bring a guest on to talk with Rummy and I. I pick a few subjects to talk about. Have some audio clips. We'll get to in a bit. But the first thing I want to talk about, Mike, with our long term contributor to the program on Thursdays, uh, Mike Rummy. One of the things that's dawned on me lately is this question that I keep throwing out when it comes to AI when it comes to audio description, when it comes to reading audio books. So I want to start with you, Mike, because Rum and I have kind of fielded this with different uh, contributors on the show. If you okay. had the ability to know that the books that you're selecting are run through a process that gives you almost, as far as you're concerned, makes you hesitate to judge... And I have found this with certain AI and audio description that's been out there, small sample sizes when it comes to audio description, because you get shorter sentences, brief descriptions, whatever it might be. Not like sitting down to listen to a book for 5, 10, 15 hours of a voice that has been synthetically manufactured, whether it's based on a real voice, um, comes from a real voice, a sample, and is able to sound so close to human. So if this comes to be in, oh, 20 minutes or six years, whatever, how long it takes for it to actually happen in our world, which we seem to be going, one of the arguments I've put out here, Mike, is for most people who are consuming audiobooks, this is new. You've consumed audiobooks all your life. Most people yes. listening to them these days have, let's say, let's say 10 years. 
I know some will say, no, right. no, I'm not listening to that. But really selling them, buying them, going out and purposely going to Barnes and Noble and whatever out there and getting a hold is more recent. Signing up for Audible. If people had the choice of one of those synthetic voices I just described that we could have in 20 minutes or six years, well, how long it takes for it to actually occur, reading a book to you, where do you stand on the fact that we know companies will, hey, man, that's a lot cheaper. I buy a program. I run this off. I create more books. If Mike Ferris told, Michael, instead of the 1,000 books you currently have available to you through said whatever place you're getting them from, you have access now to 100,000, and in two months, it'll be 400,000, and in eight months, 800,000. What do you say about this, Mike, in the way of looking to the future, and if this possibility is there, I know there's a lot that argue, well, the human voice will can never be replaced. See, yeah, now, I, I guess for me, I went through a lot of my life unable to read a lot of the books I wanted to read because they weren't in accessible format, unless you wanted to pay extra or go the illegal route and hope that someone else had scanned illegal them. Illegal route? Uh, absolutely. Yep, that, there was a time <laughs> when that was basically your only chance of getting a book well, other people were actually still talking about it of course. versus years mm -hmm. later. So, you know, I, uh, I've made a point of buying every book that I once owned illegally and destroying the illegal copies. I did that over about seven years when the Kindle app became accessible. And, right. you know, it, it's that kind of, it's the same kind of argument. I get, you know, a million plus books now available to me at the same price as anyone else. And, you know, that I don't care if it doesn't work perfectly with Braille. You know, at this point, it's can I read the book and I, do I have the exact book that everyone else has? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess so for me, I would tend to go, yeah, if, if the voice was good enough uh, and I could get it uh, cheaper uh, for a lot of books, that would be fine for me. Now, where there are some books that I really like having the human element in uh you know some of the books especially by famous like if if some if the author um is reading sometimes, it like kind of thing yeah or just a really yeah. good narrator that you've, you've just come to just trust i think there'd always be a place for that but you know if, if it's a choice between you can have the human narrated you know fraction of the total or you can have the total with ai i would tend to say you know give us the ai give us that narration and offer us the choice like the market will pay for you know that the if you really want a book narrated by a human uh who's you know being compensated for this process surely that would still exist right it would just yep. probably yep. maybe be scaled down but surely it would still be there we have some fabulous narrators out there uh who have done uh, jefferson mays uh, did a wonderful job of the expanse you know th that's an amazing sci-fi series and uh and I appreciate having it by Jefferson. I paid, despite the fact I have it on Kindle, and I could easily just read it, you know, perfectly in Braille or just um, have the uh, one of the voiceover voices read it. I really appreciate having Jefferson read that series enough to buy all the books over again on Audible. So, Michael, when you make that point, 
because we all are going to say there's no getting around said reader reading the feel of that book some books i don't care you know i'm reading this book i'm just trying to get into a series or whatever i don't have any of that you know we may be more comfortable and I, and when i talk about audio quality audio belief and reading i'm certainly looking further than what we hear with voiceover or 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 jaws or something not to pick on narrator jaws anything like that but they're what they're doing for a purpose versus the enjoyment, the pleasure of, of listening to um, a, an audiobook. Um, I'm in this fantasy world that in two, three, four years, this will be a reality, the quality. However, Ramya, as Mike pointed out, the level of, hey, I really think, and I don't know how long this would last once synthetic came in or this ability. I mean, sure, you could pay so-and-so reader to utilize their voice, but would the AI capture some of those nuances Mike's talking? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, yeah. my my perspective on this is really just about how realistic these situations are. I don't necessarily spiral on like, oh my gosh, we're doomed because, uh, you know, these people, the actual humans who love to narrate, who have full livelihoods based on audiobook narration and yes. voice work are going Audio to be obsolete. Yes, yes. And yes, there is going to come a day and we're very close to it and that's why we're fighting about it right now, like, you know, debating and communities are, are going hard with the, the vocalizing of how they feel about this stuff, is because we're so close. And that's the reality. The AI, the machine learning, the quality, right, because we're always talking about, you know, compromised quality, but the quality, like, just go to... 11 labs and put your voice in and hear the way that this thing speaks back your voice and tell me it doesn't sound like you. Tell me it's not doing a good job. It's there already. Like we're really hearing how well AI and machine learning and uh, audio and production is doing with this stuff. So we're there. You know what I mean? And I think that the part that is complicated, I guess, is the moral compass side. Like, is it fair uh, yes. that we're doing this? Is it fair that all these people are going to now not have a job anymore because AI has taken over their job? And that's the frustrating part, right? That's the human side of it. But unfortunately, that means we have to shut everything down. Like we have to shut AI as it is. We have to shut the the progress of technology as it is. And that's just not happening. Like we're literally having exponential and, leaps uh, every day. And we're not talking a large number of people. It's sort of like when you know, you're asking right? anyone, like, who we're does cartoons exactly. and it's the same people. There's unfortunately yeah. not enough people, not enough banded together people, union protection or anything like that that would ever keep something right. like this from happening. Because this which is, is just so a microcosm. Sad. This is specifically yeah. like the audiobook chat, the, the voice work chat, that's just a tiny little sliver of the conversation. But the thing is, AI is doing way more, way bigger things in this context. And us saying like, hold up guys, but how about the jobs for audiobook narrators? They're like, okay, but how about everything else? You know, See, well, you and, stop and, and think, wonder who notices the audio narrators, yeah, Mike. I mean, we the have thing, the awards, like, but who really notices in that whole grand scheme of things of people going out and purchasing to say, who's your favorite narrator? Huh? Yeah. You mean who's our favorite narrator and how is their voice synthetically being manufactured it's, now? <laughs> well, more so. Yeah, exactly. But more so if you go to the general public. Who's your favorite narrator? Can you name five narrators no. from audiobooks? Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But, right. You know, that we're, we're Mike, we did all that stuff years ago in the talking books with people who were just reading them to read them for us.
Exactly. Roy Avers comes to immediately to mind. He was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But I think there's going to be a point, like I, I've heard AI videos on YouTube and they have these things where an AI is reading the English. And there have mm-hmm. been occasions where I couldn't tell for the first five minutes whether it was that a it human wasn't. voice. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Say yeah. Something yeah, I'm struggling that with that with some description, yeah. Mike, that I'm listening but, to. And, and I'll say the gang over it the stuff they're putting through. I know it is because I listen enough and say, oh, no, okay, that's an automated. But I I, yeah. I, I submit to you, it would fool people yeah. who aren't used to, who happen to come across and the channel the and say, point. oh. That's part of the Possibly. process. They're trying to make it so that you can't tell, that so that these things yeah. sound superhuman. And, you know, in other contexts, right, like if you flip it a little, we want things like that. For screen readers, we want things, um, voices that sound human. We are tired of hearing synthetic voices in our heads 24-7 like people who use screen readers that way, right? So there are other ways. We want our smart speakers to sound more human. All of these other ways that we're really encouraging this, but then there's certain aspects that we just can't get down with because we morally feel ethically that it's wrong. Yeah, Yeah. you can't really have it both ways. I think we will hit a point (laughs) where where that will happen. And, uh, you know, but these, these books, like... I guess the thing is, though, like you get into a long enough book or whatever, and there will be points where most people would notice if you did like an eight hour book, uh, a real narrator will get into it. A real narrator will engage with it in certain ways. And AI just can't do that yet. Yeah. So not yet. I think you have your multiple readers and different voices. Yeah, you could do it with AI, but there's a rhythm no matter what, even with them not necessarily working together, that the book is directed. That starts feeling monotonous. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to be able to, with the AI, be able to set that up. I got something else I want to ask you, too, about here. The AI robots, Tarzan and Jane, have been taking over much of the -the run-of-the-mill work at St. Paul's um, Hospital Laboratory in Vancouver. Listen to this. The robots use artificial intelligence to handle and process up to 70% of the hospital's microbiology samples as a part of a new $1 million system. Dr. Mark Romney, head of medical microbiology and virology at St. Paul's, says the new level of automation makes the lives of doctors and lab technologists easier by freeing them from repetitive manual work. Romney says both Tarzan and Jane have been working at the lab for two months now, assessing and sorting culture plates, separating bacterial cultures, letting staff know if something needs further analysis. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press. Remove them out of the hospital, yeah. put them into your workplace, put them into a place, a restaurant you <laughs> go to, and helping you out or the meet-you-greeter at a place you're going to to take you somewhere. Ramya, um, how much trust do you have at this point down the road again? I'm asking you to look down the road, not necessarily today, you know, grabbing Tarzan or Jane here and saying, help Ramya, would you? Um, but down the road for the little helper uh, uh, um, robots that are coming to us soon. Yeah, like there's certain things I'm okay with. Like I had a robot serve me at a restaurant and I was like, first of all, this is not blind friendly at all. Like I'm supposed to take my plate off this robot table situation. Like it talks to me and it says, here's your food. I'm like, okay, but how am I going to find it, right? I put my hand in the soup or something? No thanks. Why are you eating off its head? Yeah, well, like- that's where the plate is. <laughs> Okay, yeah, stuff like like that. But um, I do think that this is where we need to insert humans back in, okay? Because we're already, as it is, very deprived of human contact. We're doing everything remotely and seeing each other only on screens. And the the most voices we're hearing are from our smartphones, and we're not interacting with people anymore. So if we say, yeah, and robots are going to be the only things that you have to interact with when you get into a McDonald's, 
that's kind of concerning, no? Like, where are we going? Where, are, well, we're never I leaving mean, there, our houses? There are, some, there are some tasks like that, that like in a case like the hospital situation there, yeah. where you're looking at microscopic bits of disease, uh, you know, in, in different tissues. It's super helpful patterns, and efficient. That's, yeah. There, and there are things like, there are tasks that must be just awful to have to keep doing day in and day out uh-huh. that are repetitive. And and I, I am all for, you know, putting that with machines and giving humanity more of a chance to, uh, you know, to, you know, hopefully tackle more ambitious things, more yes. things that, that are, are, you know, engage your, your spirit as well as mm. your body and just help you thrive. Like that's, that's where the real value is. Uh, you know, so I don't mind if some, if, if there's a robot that can help me in a McDonald's situation and actually knows how to do it right. Uh, <laughs> to make I'm your burger blind, better. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't put Savage. the burger in my face by mistake. <laughs> Uh, sure. You know. Pour your drink down human your pants or whatever. That? Hold up, are we, are we comparing to humans now, or just like other well, robots? humans make a lot of mistakes. The robot business will tell you, oh no, we can make like a lot less mistakes than <laughs> the humans. Next time yeah. a McDonald's employee pours a drink down my, it's all made the same, so it's kind of robotic made food. Um, is there a scenario, Mike, that you might feel that a a robot? I went to a CNIB event and they had these little robots uh, that were taking you, kind of guiding you in. You know, walking you down the, nah, down on the escalator. No. Would you trust? Seriously, I would. I would. I would try that just just to say that I had. It was. It would be one of those situations where the novelty. Just like if they ever come up with lab grown meat, you know, I would. I would uh, try that <laughs> just to see what it tasted like. I would have oh, to. Oh, I can so hear curious. you now telling. Well, I can't wait, Mike. It's out there. This is really a whole different meat. conversation, guys. Oh, that'll be another roundtable. You guys run for me. I mean, you guys have joined me on. Michael, thank you. Absolute pleasure, as always. All right, pal. We'll talk to you. See you next Thursday. Mike Fair joins us on the roundtable today. We do the roundtable every week. You can check out Mike's segment with us on uh, entertainment and uh, all sorts of things that he brings to us today. He brought the comment. If you missed out on that, check it out through the podcast. We do this every Thursday. It's the roundtable. Lovely and very riveting conversations on Thursdays at the Roundtable. After the break, we're wrapping up the show with you. We've got a teaser for tomorrow's episode of Now with Dave Brown. That'll be the Friday show. And uh, a way that you can potentially get $10,000 for staying off your phone for a month? (gasps) Sign me up. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Wow, a whole two hours of Kelly and Rumia, and you sat through it with us because, of course, we've got entertainment and lots of informative conversations for you, especially today around a lot of mental health stuff uh, and a little bit of AI to cap it off on the round table. Kels, you love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you your AI. Do you know what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow? Uh, as a matter of fact, Rum. Right here. I got Perfect. it for you, folks. Great. On their show tomorrow morning, the Friday news panel, of course, is going to get together. Michelle McQuig uh, and, and uh, of course, Joy DeGuta from The Pulse join Dave to discuss the big stories of the week, including the decision by a federal judge that the liberal uh, government's use of the Emergencies Act two years ago to quell the Freedom Festival, con- uh, Freedom Festival, the Freedom Convoy protests in Ottawa mm. and, the, and at border crossings was unreasonable while the panel is going to offer their thoughts on the court decision. Daniela Vallone recently wrote an article on the early indicators of Alzheimer's. She'll discuss those indicators with Dave. 
and Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will give us featured selections in observance of Black History Month, which, of course, folks, starts next week. All Lovely. that tomorrow, 9 a.m. in the morning on Now with Dave Brown. Their Friday shows are always so jam-packed, and it's like they're squeezing out any last bit of informative thing from the week uh, on that news panel. So looking forward to that, of course. And you can catch them on podcast along with our show, Kelly and Ramia, wherever you listen to pods. Okay, so if you feel like getting $10,000 and really, really putting in the work for it, here's an opportunity for you because there's a company that's offering 10 k for you to stay off your phone for a month. Yeah, that's a real big task. So the first weeks of the new year often inspire us to break bad habits, but one company is taking sticking to your resolutions to a new level by offering 10K to people who can stay off their smartphones for a month. It's called Siggy's Dairy, and it's an Icelandic-style yogurt company. Wondering how the heck they got into this. Uh, but anyways, um, <laughs> what do you call it? Clickbait, right? Healthy so anyways, food, healthy food. Yeah, they're encouraging people who think they have what it takes to put down your smartphones for 30 days, so not February, ha, huh, uh, to try their best at it. They said, we believe in the power of living a simpler life with fewer distractions. They're a New York-based company, and that's what they said in their announcement. One of the biggest distractions in our lives is our phone. In fact, the average person spends 5.4 hours on their phone each day. Yeah, right, that's the minimal. And those interested in this challenge must submit, here's a caveat, a 500-word essay on why they think they need a digital detox and how it will impact you in a, a very um, real positive way that aligns with the Siggy's line philosophy. So... 500 words, I guess that's not too much, but participants must be 18 or older. The submission do is, is due by January 31st, and on February 15th, 10 potential winners will be chosen to participate in the No Smartphone Challenge and will receive $10,000, a smartphone lockbox. What else are you getting? Hold on. Uh, $10,000, a smartphone lockbox, a flip phone. <laughs> A prepaid SIM card for the flip phone and three mm -hmm. months of Siggy's yogurt. So, wow, you stay off your phone and then you get a new phone in the winnings. Well, and you'll, you'll eat all that yogurt, and you'll eat all that yogurt probably in one month because you'll like get so anxiety and everything like that. Yeah, and could you I do wonder it? How long, how long is the card for? I wonder. Hmm. Mm. Um, for the money? Yeah, I think because you can use you the flip phone. You think you could do phone, it? I you can't think. use your work phone either. Oh, no, but that's okay. It's work stuff. <laughs> Hi, am I? Ha, ha. But my biggest challenge would be, I don't think I'd write the 500-word essay I, well enough to get thinking. in there. That's uh, where they like, lost you know, me, too. I was like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Wow. I mean, you'd uh, but, walk around talking, and the dog already complains you talk too much. Right? And also, you can do everything on your computer that you could do on a smartphone. So I'm kind of like... Is this really a thing? Like, how are they going to catch you cheating? Yeah, you but, know? but you're, but you, I think you can still do stuff. It's just I'm get off that smartphone you're friend. carrying everywhere. Uh -huh. Wow. On our Friday show tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI TV, Samsung Smart Ring Bite Signal might be the start of a new wearable era. John Bueller is going to tell us more. What are some books that are already making waves this year? Ryan Huey shares a few on the chatty bookshelf. That's it. We'll catch you tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI TV for more Kelly and Ramia. Stay off your phone. 30 days. Eat the ogre. Mmm.
Hey guys, it's Jeff here, and I just wanted to touch on the conversation that was had in segment one about attention span, and I think that's a great question. I feel like everybody's attention span has shrunk immensely ever since technology has really taken a grasp over society. Um, you know, everybody has their phone glued to their hands or to their ear or in their pocket or some sort of device. Um, for myself, I'm totally guilty of that. Um, my attention span is probably one of the worst. Normally, if I'm sitting in front of a TV, I have my phone there with me as well. Uh, and I could be watching an episode of Friends as well as scrolling through Facebook aimlessly. Uh, it is really bad, although I will say that I do know when to put it away. I'm not one of those people that goes to a restaurant and decides to have their phone out the entire time or at the dinner table. You know, I do have rules to go along with this. I feel like it's kind of rude to, to have your phone out in certain instances, um, especially when it's not needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are some people that do that and I look and see and it really irritates me and yeah, I, I think it's good to have that disconnect, but sometimes, yeah, it's hard. I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know why. And I always think back to like, you know, my childhood, how did I watch a 30 minute show, you know, straight without having to do anything else? But yeah, all in all, my attention span probably could be better. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.